Every so often when I'm in the car, I uh, use that time to respond to text messages, and obviously I don't want to look down at my phone while I'm driving, so I dictate messages to Siri through my phone. So a few, a few years ago, I was doing this. Somebody had sent me a message, something to the effect of, hey, uh, last time I saw you, I forgot to give you back the book that I borrowed. It was something along those lines. And so uh, I told my phone, I said, hey, text this person back and just say, no worries, next time I see you, right? Just meaning no worries, next time I see you, uh, you can give me the book. Uh, now, uh, I didn't notice until I got where I was going later and I looked at what I had actually texted back to this person and it said, next time I see you. Now, <laughs> as you can tell, one of those is friendly and the other is a threat. And so uh, I, I texted the person back and I was like, I promise you I'm not threatening to physically harm you or anybody in your family. Give the book back whenever you want to give the book back. It's really fine, right? I'm not going to injure you. Uh, but uh, maybe this has happened to you at some point. It's a good reminder that the right words at the right moment can bring life, encouragement, can be friendly, can be peaceful and joyful. The wrong words can be threatening, fearful, discouraging, or bring hopelessness or even death. We know that words are powerful. You know that words are powerful. I know that words are powerful. What you and I say can have a profound influence on the people around us. This is why there is so much in the Bible about words, about what we say. There's a ton of data, a ton of verses in the Bible about what we say. Uh, we, when we were in the book of James, we saw there's an entire chapter of the book of James devoted to the tongue, the power, and the dangers of the tongue. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, I've been told that one out of every six verses in the book of Proverbs deals with the subject of our speech. What we say, when we say it, how we say it, who we say it to, why we speak, where our speech comes from. There is a lot in the Proverbs on speech. So this week we're going to talk about uh, the issue of speech uh, from a positive perspective. What is the type of speech we want to aim at? What does the Proverbs say describes speech that honors God, speech that is good, speech that is life-giving, speech that is wise? In a few weeks, I'm going to come back and look at the flip side of speech, types of speech to avoid. But it's clear the Proverbs and, and really all of the Scripture tells us speech is powerful. What you say matters. Just one proverb I'll share with you uh, up front. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That is not a metaphor. That is not an abstraction. People live and die based upon what others say to them. Just think about those that have taken their own lives after receiving unkind, cruel words that led them to hopelessness and despair, or those who have chosen to press on with new purpose and peace and hope in their lives because the right encouraging word came at the right moment. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you can think of a moment in your life when somebody stepped in and said something that either sent you on a trajectory of darkness and frustration or sent you on a trajectory of renewed hope and renewed life. Words matter. 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Reputations rise and fall based on what people say. Careers rise and fall based on what people say. Marriages thrive or die based on what people say. Your children will thrive or wilt based upon what they hear said. Words matter. Words have power. Not only do words have power, words also reveal our hearts. They demonstrate what's inside of us, even when we don't want to acknowledge that. A lot of the time, we say something that was unkind or perverse or cruel or proud, and we want to distance ourselves from it. We go, ah, I said that, but that's not who I am. Right? But the scripture tells us, actually, to some extent, that is who you are. What comes out of your mouth flows from a heart that is either uh, a heart that wants to honor God in that moment or dishonor God in that moment, a heart of purity, kindness, love, or a heart of anger and perversion and unkindness. Jesus said it this way, talking to the Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart The mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. What is in your heart comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth reflects what's inside your heart. Words impact others and words reflect our hearts. Here's another proverb. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart's of fools. Remember, in the book of Proverbs, the wise man and the fool are contrasted repeatedly. The wise man is the one who fears God and honors God and wants to walk with God and represent him. The foolish person is the person who says, I want to go my own way and do my own thing. And and here, Solomon says, the lips of the wise person who honors God spread knowledge. The, The things the wise person says reflect a wise heart. Not so the hearts of fools. Fools open their mouths and people recognize pretty quickly they're foolish because their mouth spreads foolishness. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. So we're gonna talk about five characteristics this morning of God-honoring words, of wise words, of godly words. And here's what I wanna say. Uh, As we look at these five characteristics, it would be really tempting just to go, okay, I need to just clean up my speech. Uh, Whichever of these I don't do, I need to try to do. And so you you make a plan to say better things. And that's all well and good, but what we wanna recognize is that our speech flows from our heart. And so the goal is I wanna have a heart that is being transformed by the love of God, through the power of the Spirit of God, so that what comes out of my mouth reflects His character. This transformation has to come from the inside out. But we are going to talk, what does the Proverbs say is going to happen to our speech when we have lives and hearts that honor God? What do godly words look like? I'm going to give us five characteristics this morning. First of all, godly words are honest words words. Godly words are honest words. A a person who wants to honor the Lord tells the truth. Let me show you uh, a, a verse for this. Proverbs 24, 26. Like a kiss on the lips 
is the one who gives an honest answer. Now, uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world, kisses on the lips were not only uh, in the context of a romantic relationship like they are for us in the Western world. You kiss somebody on the lips, that says a little bit more than I'm just your friend, right? But in the ancient world, close friends would often kiss one another on the lips, and it was a sign of trust and affection and a sign of closeness, even amongst friends. And so the idea is, like a kiss on on the lips uh, communicates affection and trust and closeness, so is the one who gives an honest answer. The person who is straightforward and honest and direct and truthful in their speech, that person is, is refreshing. That person brings closeness. It draws relationships together. All right, the reality is that, that most of us at different times in our lives, we, we don't tell the truth. We don't tell the truth. We lie. We lie for a number of reasons. We lie maybe because we're trying to hide our own failures, right? We're trying to hide our own sin, and we think if I tell the truth about who I am, what I've done, or something like that, people won't like me. Right? Maybe we lie because we're trying to, to get something from somebody else. And we know that the best way to extract what we want is to shade the truth just a little bit. Maybe we lie because there's been some sort of uh, offense in the relationship. Somebody's done something to offend me or has a pattern of offense in my relationship. And I'm just too afraid to bring it up. So I say everything's fine, but I don't really mean everything's fine. And I put distance between me and that other person, right? We lie for all kinds of reasons. The, The scripture consistently tells us we are called to be truthful, even when it's hard to be truthful, because truth reflects the character of God. Think about Romans chapter 3. Let God be found true, even though every man be found a liar. We are liars all too often. God is always truthful. And so what we aim at is truthfulness in keeping with the character of God. Right? And sometimes what that means is that if you're in a relationship, uh, whether that's a romantic relationship like marriage or dating, or whether that's a friendship or a coworker relationship or whatever it may be, as we relate to other people, sometimes we have to speak the truth, even when it costs, even when it's hard, even when it might upset the peace for just a little while. Uh, early on in our marriage, Shannon and I read a book that described this process of speaking the truth as a tunnel of chaos, right? And this, this writer said, hey, sometimes you may have to go to your spouse. This was in the context of marriage. And he said, you may have to go to your spouse and you may have to say, hey, here's an area of our relationship that just isn't working for one reason or another. Maybe it's something you're doing, something I'm doing, something we're both doing, but we need to talk about this. And he said, what'll happen is that creates some chaos, right? That upends the status quo. But really all it's doing is it's upending the false sense of peacefulness that you had when everybody was lying. But he says, here's the beauty. You walk through this tunnel and there's all this chaos and all this dust kicked up. But on the other side of that tunnel of chaos is often a healthier, closer, stronger relationship. Intimacy and closeness and life is breathed back into the relationship when we're willing to speak the truth, right? So, so over and over, the scripture is gonna say, because we are people of God, we ought to be people of the truth. God's word is truth. God's character is truth. God's people should be people of truth. I wanna clarify, that doesn't mean that you always have to say everything that you think, right? Truthfulness 
does not mean that I have a license to just open my mouth and always share what I think is wrong with you or what you think is wrong with me, right? So for me, there's, there's a few questions that I ask myself before I open up my mouth and speak the truth. One is, is this really a significant moral or spiritual issue uh, where the other person has a pattern in their life that is either harming them, harming me, or harming those around them? Is this a pattern, a moral or spiritual pattern, where this person is, is walking away from or disobeying the scripture in some way, right? So it may be this morning you're like, man, I wish Matt would tuck in his shirt, right? That's not a moral or spiritual issue, right? So you don't need to say anything. People already have, I know, okay? <laughs> so here, here's the deal. Is this a moral or spiritual issue? Secondly, can I just let it go, right? Is this small enough that I can let it go, right? And when, let, when I say let it go, I don't mean secretly hold on to it or talk to my friends about it or anything along those lines. I mean, truly, is this small enough that I can say, I'm gonna entrust that person to the Lord in this area? Right, and thirdly, do I actually have the relationship with you that is necessary to address this? Am I the person in your life? Are you the person in my life who ought to address this? I think a lot of social media conflict could be avoided with that last question. I may not be the person that God has called upon to address this issue at this time in your life, and yet in our especially close relationships, Honesty matters. Honesty brings closeness and trust and intimacy. Lying pushes us farther apart. So godly words always tell the truth. Secondly, godly words are encouraging. Godly words are encouraging. Let me give you a couple of verses uh, that I love from the book of Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words or gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I love this. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. The idea is here, it's gracious words, words that communicate the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God. If I speak words that are life-giving to you, or you speak words that are life-giving to me, the, 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 uh, Solomon here, he says, that's, that's like a honeycomb, something sweet. Again, in the ancient world, honey was about the sweetest thing you could find to eat. So I don't know what your particular uh, favorite sweet treat is, right? It, for me, it's a, a chocolate chip cookie. So think about it that way. Pleasant words are a chocolate chip cookie. They are, they are bluebell cookie two-step ice cream. Right? Or maybe you think of a, a, a warm sopapilla that you dip into that soft honey, right? And you, you eat that, and it's sweet. And we even sometimes call that comfort food, right? It brings us comfort and peace. The writer of Proverbs here, Solomon, he says, pleasant words are like that. They're sweet, but not just to your taste buds. They are sweet to your soul, to your life. They bring comfort. They bring healing. The right words of encouragement at the right moment can heal a heart that is wounded and broken by life. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. That means when we speak the truth, even if it's difficult truth, we're called upon to do it in a way that is encouraging, that is kind, that is life-giving. Here's another one. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs him down but an encouraging word brings him joy. An encouraging word brings him joy. I, I wonder how often you and I 
in our friendships, our marriages, uh, as parents, as classmates, as roommates? How often do you take the time to intentionally and specifically encourage those around you? To say to them, hey, I see the Lord working in your life in a particular way, and I just wanted to share this with you. I see a gift God has given you that has impacted me in a positive way, and I just want to share this with you. I would, I would say this, that for every time you criticize another person, that ought to be loaded out with at least 10 words of encouragement, because the world desperately is starving for kindness and encouragement. I don't know if you've ever uh, had a time in your life where somebody has spoken something encouraging to you that has changed your life, that has healed your soul, that has been like a honeycomb, sweetness to your soul. Early on, when I was uh, in ministry, uh, Shannon encouraged me to do this, to create a file of encouraging cards, notes, emails, letters, things along those lines that people uh, wrote. Now, and this is, this is my encouragement file. It's not everything I've ever, ever gotten, but uh, this is a couple of decades worth of things that were particularly meaningful that I keep in this file. Now, this is not like my ego file, right? I don't open this up and just be like, I am great, right? I don't do that. But what is this? This, this is an opportunity in those moments when I feel discouraged, to remind myself God is working and that the words of, of men and women over the years into my life have communicated ways they've been influenced or impacted by this ministry, by me, by my life. Not all of these are related to ministry. Some of these are just cards and notes from friends who took the time to write down an encouraging word. Encouragement matters more than you can imagine. Uh, I have a, uh, had a seminary professor who used to tell this story, uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks. Some of you have heard of him. He passed away about 10 years ago, but, but he used to tell how when he was young, he came from a chaotic home, a divorced home. There was not a lot of encouragement in his home. Uh, there was not a lot of life or peace. And so he acted out in school, in elementary school, as he went through school. And uh, in fact, he was so bad. Now, again, this was back at... Uh, about 100, almost 100 years ago now, uh, but he was so, uh, so unruly in fifth grade that at one point his fifth grade teacher tied him to the chair to keep him from acting out. She told him he was the most likely in her class to go to prison. And he said, he began to absorb that, but he said, here's what happened when I started sixth grade. After that fifth grade year, he said, I started sixth grade, and there was this teacher. Her name was Miss No. And he said, the very first day of class, Miss No looked at me, and she goes, Howie Hendricks, I've heard a lot about you. And he said, I thought, oh, no, here it comes. And she paused, and then she said, I don't believe a word of it. And he said, that word of hope, of encouragement, he said, somebody believed I could be more. I could be better. I could change. He said it altered the trajectory of his life. He actually became a prophet, DTS, for 50-some years, invested in 10,000 students, and was known for seeing the potential in young men and women headed to serve the Lord. And he attributed a lot of it to that moment of encouragement. 
If you think your words don't have power, they have power. An encouraging word brings joy, can heal a heart, can heal a soul. Godly words, thirdly, are peaceful. They bring peace in the midst of conflict. Many of you will be familiar with this particular verse. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Think about that for a minute. I would guess that you know that that is true. You've experienced that truth in your life, whether with a roommate or in your marriage or with a coworker or a boss or an employer, whatever. That a gentle answer in a moment of tension can calm things down, but a, but a harsh word can escalate things. Uh, there are those who research communication patterns in marriages, and of course, one of the things they find that, that is that couples tend to argue in predictable ways, right? So there are certain patterns of argument that, that many couples sort of duplicate and repeat, often what they learn from their own parents. One of those patterns that is particularly destructive is called escalation, right? And, and it's relatively self-explanatory, but escalation is when your spouse comes to you and they say something like, hey, uh, I did not particularly like the chicken that you made for dinner last night, right? And you respond to that by saying, well, I don't particularly like your face, right? And now you've ratcheted it up. And they respond to that, right? And they go, well, you're the most sensitive person in the entire planet, right? And then they're like, your mom is ugly, right? And it just ratchets up <laughs> like that. Now, that's an extreme example, but we've all seen it, right? In that moment when somebody criticizes, when somebody speaks into your life, we have a tendency to get defensive. That defensiveness creates harshness. And, and escalates the conflict. And yet Solomon says, actually, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A calm response turns away anger. Through patience, Proverbs 25, 15, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. And look at this, a soft tongue can break a bone. What a powerful image. Bones are hard, rigid, immovable. A soft tongue can break a bone, can move the immovable, can change the dynamic of a relationship. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments, maybe on Facebook, maybe in real life, where you've said, I'm going to de-escalate rather than escalate. I'm going to choose to let the offense go, right, so that this small confrontation doesn't turn into like the Hatfields and McCoys, a conflict that escalates and goes on and on and on and on. Every so often, and, and it happens to many of us, depending on what your job is, your career is, every so often, I'll acknowledge sometimes people send me angry emails. And I'll acknowledge uh, that when I was a, a less experienced person, I would sometimes respond to those angry emails in kind. And I, I'll say this. I'm not great at a lot of different things, but crafting well-executed angry emails is something I can do, right? And so I, I would just often launch back, and of course, then that would hurt feelings more and, and escalate things more. But over time, I've realized that that's almost never 
productive, right? Godly words are, are peaceful. A gentle answer turns away wrath, right? Recently, I, I got one such email. It doesn't even really matter what it was about, but I got it, and I'll tell you, inside my heart, I felt that urge. I could put this person in their place. But the Spirit of God said, is that going to help you? Is that going to help them? Is that going to help this church? And so I chose to de-escalate in that moment, right? That was a victory. I've had losses as well. But the more our hearts and minds are transformed by the Spirit of God to recognize, actually, our God is a reconciling God, isn't he? That that's part of his character. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What did God do? He took enemies, people who were shaking our fists at him, rebellious against him, and turned us into friends through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if I know Jesus Christ and my heart's being transformed by him, I should increasingly become a person of peace and reconciliation with my words, with what I say. Because peaceful words indicate a peaceful heart. So godly words are honest, encouraging, peaceful. Fourthly, godly words are pure, are pure. They speak those things that are honorable to the Lord that are godly, that reflect the character and the righteousness and the purity of God. Let me show you a couple of verses, both from Proverbs 15. The Lord abhors the plans of the wicked, but pleasant or gracious words are pure. The heart of the righteous considers how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things, right? These are, these are juxtaposed right together. What does pure mean? Pure uh, means it's unmixed, with sin, it's unmixed with unrighteousness. Pure words are those words that wholly and fully reflect the good character of God. So a lot of times when we think about pure speech, we think primarily about things like profanity or dirty jokes. And those are in there, right? And we learn very early there's a type of speech that is perverse, that is dirty, right? We call it dirty jokes. I remember when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old, I was playing uh, softball, or not softball, I was playing t-ball, and uh, I was out in right field, and the center fielder and I used to trade jokes back and forth, right, because the ball never came to me out in right field, and so we would be out there, and I remember one day, the center fielder goes, hey, do you want to hear a dirty joke? And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to answer at that, at that moment. I just kind of, just kind of froze. I was like, I don't know. I don't think I do. I don't know what you're talking about, and then he says, hey, uh, the white horse fell down in the mud, right? And then he just laughed and laughed and laughed. That was his dirty joke. That was the idea for him. Now, as we grow older, of course, we understand jokes get a lot worse than that, a lot dirtier, a lot filthier. So does speech. A lot of times we think about pure or impure speech in terms of uh, four-letter words or dirty jokes. And all of that is included in there, but the idea of purity actually goes deeper than that. Uh, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he said to be pure in heart is to desire one thing. And that one thing is to know and honor God. What does purity mean? Purity means that my speech is not mixed, uh, not only with perversion or sexual immorality, but it's also not mixed with self-exaltation or greed or anger. It is pure. It is righteous. It is holy. Impure speech 
dishonors the Lord because it comes from a heart that is impure. The more I know God, the more deeply I know God, the more my speech will reflect him. Uh, I'll, I'll be vulnerable here just for a minute. Um, the very first house that we lived in years ago um, had a problem where um, it, was, it was in an older neighborhood and uh, the kind of the lines from the house out to the city's sewer system uh, were older as well. And so sometimes when it would rain, uh, it would back up and that, that uh, sort of drain that was supposed to go out to the sewer system uh, would begin to come back the wrong direction. And so you might come in and look at the bathtub and it would just be filled with gunk that came from the sewer that was coming out of the faucet in the bathtub where we were supposed to be getting clean. I don't know if you can imagine or if you've ever experienced the frustration and despair that comes from that type of a situation. Because normally when you turn it on, you got clear water, clean water, but every once in a while, sewage. That's a picture of a mouth that isn't pure. Right, a lot of times you might be saying good things, but every once in a while, sewage, filth, impurity. Right, and the only way to fix that problem in the house was, was to fix it under the ground. You had to install a mechanism to keep that stuff from coming back at the source. It took digging, it took depth, it took work under the surface. That's the case with our mouth. A lot of times you may say, ah, I, have a, I have a speech problem, I have a profanity problem, I have a dirty joke problem, I have an anger problem, whatever, with my tongue. What you have is a heart problem that has to be fixed at the source. And so this is why the Proverbs points out, godly speech is pure because it comes from a heart that says, I want to know God above all things and honor God above all things. And God is holy and God is righteous and God is never greedy, lustful, angry, prideful, perverse. He always says what is true and right and pure. So godly words are honest, encouraging, peaceful, pure. Finally, they are timely. They are timely. They say the right thing at the right moment. And they avoid saying the wrong thing at the wrong moment. Let me show you a couple of verses in this regard. Proverbs 27, 14. If someone blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. Children, listen up. Waking people up early in the morning with a loud blessing is not viewed as a blessing. Why? Well, the words might be joyful. The words might be peaceful. The words might be wonderful. It's the timing that's off. Timing matters. Here's, here's one from a more positive perspective. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. What a beautiful image, right? Apples of gold and settings of silver. It's beautiful. It looks rich. It looks wonderful. That's like a word spoken in the right moment at the right time. A fitting word at the right moment. So if when you were a kid, <clears throat> if your dad came home and said that the alternator in the car had just gone out, you knew that's not the right moment to ask for a raise in your allowance. Timing matters. 
when we talk about honesty, when we talk about some of these characteristics, a lot of times we forget that timing matters. If somebody is grumpy or has not slept in three days, it might not be the moment to bring up that relational issue you've been wanting to bring up. Right? If somebody is, on the other hand, in a place in their life where they're tender-hearted, and they say, why is it that at this moment my life isn't going like I hoped, and you might be able to see a pattern of behavior in that person's life that you can speak into. Maybe that's the right moment as the Spirit of God is already clearly working on that person's life. This takes a lot of discernment and a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of prayer. And again, it requires us to continually be in communication with the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, through prayer, to know how do I say the right thing at the right time? Because you can say the right thing at the wrong time and throw everything into disarray. God always speaks at the right moment as well. If you think about Hebrews 1, Hebrews 1 describes how God spoke through the ages in many different ways at many different times, but in these last times, just when the timing was right, he sent us his son, who is known, by the way, as the word of God. God always speaks the right thing at the right time. And so we're called upon to be timely in our speech. Because again, just at the right moment, God spoke through Jesus. And ultimately, all of these characteristics of godly speech are characteristics of godly and wise speech because they reflect God, because they reflect Jesus Christ. You remember John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Why does John describe Jesus as the Word of God? It is because Jesus is the perfect communication of who God is, because he is God in the flesh. And so everything Jesus said is what God says. Everything Jesus did communicates who God is. So our words are called upon to reflect the word of God. And so that's all we're called upon to do. We're not called upon to be God, but simply to be God's people who use our words to reflect him. In order to have words that reflect him, we have to have a heart that is being transformed into his image. In order to have a heart that is being transformed into his image, we need to know him. And so all of this begins with knowing Jesus, with trusting in him. If you don't know Jesus Christ, Godly speech that is motivated from a God-honoring heart begins with knowing him, believing that Jesus died for our sins, all of our failures to speak and to live as we're supposed to. He rose from the dead to give us eternal life and also to give us a relationship with God through the power of the Spirit so that we can be transformed. If you know him, then the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning, do your words reflect the character of Jesus? All of those characteristics we gave this morning, they fit with the character of Christ because they spring from the character of God. Do your words reflect the character of Jesus? And if not, what needs to change from the inside 
out? Are you absorbing the Word of God on a regular basis so that your words reflect His words? Are you asking Him to empower you to speak and to think in a way that honors Him? Do our words reflect the character of Jesus? And if not, what needs to change? I'm going to pray, and then as we close and worship, just reflect on these questions. And if there's an area of change in your life, in your speech, ask for God's power and strength to help you. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word and what it tells us about the kinds of words we should speak. What we want more than anything is to reflect you. We know that purity of speech springs from a pure heart. A pure heart is a heart that desires one thing, to know you and to obey you. And so we pray that we would. Lord, this is difficult, as as James told us. Taming the tongue is the most difficult, imaginable task. But we know that your spirit is powerful enough for the task. So we pray, empower us and lead us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.